0: Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And uh, this is a very fancy title because I was speaking at the Rankin Ray meeting in San Diego a couple weeks ago, and there was a session about uh, new techniques in education. And my job was to look at social media and how that might impact education, but also how to use social media for education. So that's what my talk is going to be. It's going to be some theories, some thoughts, what other people are doing in radiology, in medicine, or in other fields and then look at what can be done. I'm also going to share with you our own experience. So when you look at the term social media, at first glance, you typically think about a bunch of teenagers uh, texting each other. But when you look on the Wikipedia, it's very clear that social media is far more than that. It introduces substantial and pervasive changes to communication between organizations, communities, and individuals. And just that statement alone means it's very important to us because as we try to communicate with each other, try to communicate with our patients and with our colleagues, social media may be one of the ways of doing it. When you look at some of the other articles talking about social media, This definition, a group of internet-based applications that build on the ideological and technical foundations of Web 2.0 and allow the creation and exchange of user-generated content, is another way of looking at it. So again, the users take control and can share information. And it's really a very broad term because what social media in many ways does, it creates two-way or multiple-way conversations, things that were typically one-way conversations, become interactive dialogues. And that indeed becomes very important because of one thing social media provides that one has to be impressed by is the ability to speak to many people and to communicate with many different people. When you speak about social media, there's so many things you could think about uh, from things like Tumblr and Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and Wikipedia and on and on. And we're not going to go through all of these. We'll talk about a few of these, but it's important to recognize that the whole area of social media, as most of you know by reading the newspaper, is constantly changing. And it's somewhat amazing how rapidly the change has occurred. I gave a talk at RSNA and made the point that if I was giving this talk in 2010, the lecture would focus on why it's inappropriate for radiologists or other professionals to use social media. Uh, It was an uncontrolled environment. uh, Who was looking at it? Who can connect? The concern for HIPAA violations? Many different reasons, but it was truly felt that that whole area was not going to be for radiologists or for physicians in general. Well, In part, you know, that has slowed radiology down in terms of embracing social media. Concerns about professionalism, concerns about privacy for our patients, concern about control or lack of control of the message, and concern, particularly in hospitals, who's responsible for developing and managing a website and who's going to pay for it. Well, the question, is it professional, in a sense is answered. At the Rank and Ray, I showed everyone this slide, which was the Rankin and Ray's uh, link at the meeting, which had all the information about papers and abstracts and everything else you want to know about San Diego and the meeting itself. And if you look at the very bottom of the page, there was all of the signs from Google to Facebook to Twitter to LinkedIn to YouTube to AJR. So really, there is no question. And if you went and looked at the, A- the ACR, very much the same thing. Every single part of the ACR is connected to social media, Instagram even. So you're sending Instagram pictures around. So social media is mainstream in the most mainstream conservative organizations, the Rankin Ray and the ACR, and RSNA is exactly the same thing. So really, we change the questions. The real questions now become: How to use social media for your message, for your brand, and for mind share. What is the goal of your social media program? How well does it work in your practice? And what do you plan on doing now or differently over the next 12 months? Now, there have been a number of articles, and because I was asked to speak on this topic, I also did a lot of research, looked at PubMed, and there are a lot of articles on PubMed now. Most of the articles are in the last few months, quite literally, because many of them are sort of um, listed on PubMed, but the articles have not been published or have been published online, but not yet in the journals. This article by Tamini makes the point that healthcare lags behind other industries in engaging with customers. And again, we talk about reasons why from HIPAA, to fears about uh, mismanagement of people's time. But again, it's just been something we've been slow at adapting to because perhaps we're just very busy. Um, and it's somewhat interesting to me, he makes the point that one of the other challenges these days is spending time with the patients. Physicians m- spend less and less time. We now have PAs and nurses stepping in where physicians aren't. But you know, perhaps this is an opportunity uh, concurrent with online growth we've seen an inverse trajectory of direct face-to-face patient provider moments. And this is something that patients are very unhappy with, and perhaps we can use the web to be more efficient in really reaching out to our patients and really changing the management and, again, reaching out and touching our patients, maybe not face-to-face in the same room, but at least across a network where they could answer their questions and we can get with them into a very important discussion over their care management or recommendations or options so again perhaps social media is going to provide us with an outlet to really take care of many of the problems that we are facing in medicine when you look at the numbers it's impressive 163 million people 163 million okay one out of two people in the u.s regularly use social platforms, a bit more common on females to males. And young adults continue to be the core audience. But the fact is, you read many articles talking about the graying of the Internet, that it's not just a teenage phenomena anymore, but it's across all age groups. And the largest growth is in the population over age 50. Now, what's very important is all of us go online, whether it's a Google search, looking at the weather, looking at sports scores, whatever. People are so used to looking at information on the web and they're happy with it, particularly Google, that it's not surprising they're gonna use the web for medicine as well. So sites like WebMD or sites like mayoclinic.com have been very successful at providing that information. Medical professionals are amongst the highest trusted sources but the internet is a great way of making certain what your physician says makes sense and looking at times if there are not any alternatives. The internet provides tremendous access of information to patients. Again, the challenge is what's good information versus what's bad information, but nevertheless, people can go out there and get information. And as I mentioned, there are so many ways from social and professional networks. You can see Facebook and YouTube in there to blogs, to microblogs, and the like. Now, if you look at this list, you may have heard of many of these things. The two most common are going to be Facebook and Twitter. Those are the two biggest ones in terms of numbers. And when you look at websites, most websites will link through these two uh, approaches. When you look at Facebook's homepage, what's its mission? To give people the power to share and make the world more open and connected a very good mission statement and if you look at Facebook growth it's really impressive look at that curve now it's slowing down a bit because there's only X amount of people who live in the world but you can see by 2012 in a four year period it went from hundred million to a billion and now in uh, April and May 2014 it's over 1.3 billion and continuing to grow the growth rate is slower again there's only so many people in this world Twitter is also very successful in eight years. It's become a true force and went public this year. It's a way of communicating with 140 characters or less. It's one of the most successful startup companies of all time based on market capitalization, revenue growth, and tremendous cultural impact. And what you use it for typically are quick chats with people you know, you don't know, or hardly know. And it's a way of connecting people along specific topics. Uh, The CEO talks about the only platform that's public, real-time, and conversational and widely distributed. It's interesting when you try to say Twitter versus Facebook. uh, Whitney Fishman, who's written a lot about this, makes the point that Facebook's a network designed to cement human personal Ties, while uh, Twitter is more of a network designed for sharing and receiving information and ideas. But both of them work very nicely. What are the underlying drivers um, in terms of integration of social media into healthcare experience? Well, healthcare trends show a movement to a patient centric model, and social media does take up that patient centric model. And what happens is people will develop trusted networks be it online or offline. So it's very important that the physicians, radiologists perhaps, are connected to our patients. Hospitals surely are trying to do this. Price Waterhouse released a report recently on healthcare and social media. 41% of respondents said they would share information with healthcare professionals via social media. 61% they would trust information from healthcare professionals received via social media, and over 70% said they would like help from physicians via social media including referrals. And so what you're seeing is this connectivity between patient and health system and physician This is where social media will play a major role. It's going to be the glue that connects all of the things. And you think about it, patient access to medical records and radiology reports, which is happening now everywhere, changes patients' expectations. And the key change is the physician-patient relationship is no longer one-directional. It's now circular at best, but it involves many other people. And again, when you think about it, why do patients use social media for their health? Well, patients use social media for everything else. Why shouldn't healthcare be the same? It provides a way of connecting patients and their families with physicians, sources of information, other specialists, other people with the same disease and experience, and provides lots of information, including communicative and emotional value to patients. Just to show you two sites, The site PatientsLikeMe.com talks about people with certain diseases, users connect with others who have the same disease or condition, and they track or share experiences. Uh, In fact, the data from these sites is now going to be used by drug companies and researchers to be able to see what they learn more about diseases. It's a platform designed to help patients answer the question, given my status, what is the best outcome I can hope to achieve and how do I get there? So again, sharing with other patients, and here's the site, sharing with other patients perhaps is a good way of learning what to expect. And if you look at this one on pancreatic cancer, you say, okay, what's my symptoms? What treatments can I do? If I get radiation, how will I feel? If I get chemotherapy, how will I feel? And it's not the doctor telling you how you feel, but it's a 1,000 patients who had the same chemotherapy. They had fulfox. They know what the issues are. And so, again, people begin to feel much more connected and more in control of their own treatments. CaringBridge.com, we used to say that patients tried to hide diseases. Now patients are saying, look, here's what I have, here's what I'm doing, I'm telling my friends that you can communicate with me. I'm going to tell you how I'm doing. And it's very popular in teenagers and young adults, but even in older patients now, it's really a way of getting support from friends and family or from total strangers. Again, the power of connectivity, the power of social media is shown in this this type of process. So again, hospitals and some physicians are really smart. They're turning to social media as a way to recruit patients and their families as advisors. Uh, Ask patients or parents for input via questionnaires and surveys on how to give the best care or what services should be done. At University of Michigan, for example, they have e-advisors who answer questions a couple times a year and a teen council. Who responds to questions at the brigham and women's hospital in boston they help edit brochures to make certain the brochures don't sound too medical but a much patient much more patient friendly and so it's kind of interesting this article by margolin in the social media and the surgeon journal of clinical colon rectal surgery so a very reputable gi journal talks about as physicians and specifically colon and rectal surgeons It's important that we understand this new technology, learn its limitations, and utilize it to foster growth of our practice, train, and potentially result in better patient care. So, that indeed is very important. He goes on to show that hospitals really understand this better than individual doctors. Look at the numbers. 1068 Facebook pages from hospitals, 8154 Twitter accounts, 566 LinkedIn accounts, 575 YouTube channels, 149 blogs all show you that people understand where things are going. You can see even in terms of where things go wrong. Cleveland Clinic monitors the Facebook and Twitter pages to see if there are any complaints about their services and then answering them. Seattle Children's Hospital had a disaster with the child's death and they went on social media to explain what went wrong and how they're fixing it. Oceana Clinic contacts patients via smartphone apps with up-to-date wait times in the ER. Again, all of this is connecting the patients with information. Kollowitz makes the point, adoption of social media technologies appears to enhance clinical outcomes through improved communications. The ability of providers to, to more effectively, directly, and rapidly communicate amongst themselves, as well as with patients, should strengthen collaboration and treatment. So again, it's not just it's something we do, but it's something that really becomes important. And will improve patient care. This article by Gundman, we need to put patients uh, in and us in the same place. We need to look at radiology and the work of radiologists from the patient's point of view. So it's very important to really be thinking differently. Now, the good thing about it, and a real good potential, I think is you know even surveys done last year show that very few people know who radiologists are and if they know anything they think you're the same as a technologist it really gives us a way of changing who we are and letting people know who we are we can tell them what is radiology and what do radiologists actually do what are our exams what can we do what's our role in healthcare? and we can provide information for the patient at multiple different touch points. One of the things that's done between the ACR and RSNA is radiologyinfo.org, and that's just designed for the patient. It explains how studies are done. It explains everything you want to know from the patient's perspective. It recommends no site, it sells nothing, its mission is to inform and educate the public about radiologic procedures and the role of radiologists in healthcare and to improve communication between physicians and their patients. Again, lots of information on the site. It's being redone, in fact, to do better for mobile devices. But you pick a topic, you could read all about it. But again, it's written. To be able to be read by the patient is not written for a referring physician or for you or another radiologist or a surgeon. It's really designed specifically for our patients. So that indeed becomes very, very important. A lot's also being written now about uh, you know, thinking about the whole idea of Health 2.0. It's young and evolving. It's meant the use of social media by health professionals and patients to personalize health care and promote health education. Again, it's not used much, but it's really more of a concept of where things are going. This article by Verkamp making the point that um, with patients turning to online sources and social media in search of advice, we must ensure that patients have meaningful engagements with us across the continuum of care from the phone to the office to social media. So again, it needs to be part of our practice. Nothing that's going to be unique in a couple years, but just something that patients can do now, want now, and we've been really slow to adapt to. Again, this article by Nager, despite potential drawbacks, social media has become ubiquitous, such that individual practices and in departments should develop strategies for developing and maintaining a social presence. And again, that becomes very important. The terms, you got to plan it. You can't simply be just doing something. Put up a Facebook page and think you've solved social media issues. What are you putting up there? How frequently? How are you communicating? And what's your game plan? And what are your goals? Again, we need to be thinking from the patient's perspective. We need to let the patients know we care, but look at what it is they need and what they're looking for. So really, it's an interesting problem. You know, how do we use the revolution in social media as an alternative to classic educational development methods? And we talk about one is simply looking at our audience of the patient. But it's multiple audiences. It's the radiologist to the technologist, and the radiologist to the nurse, and the radiologist to other clinicians, and radiologist to other radiologists. And so we've done things many ways for a long time, and it's worked. We all have uh, conferences, whether it's noontime at or 7.30 or 8 o'clock. We have view box conferences, though we don't own view boxes anymore. We have mixed-case conferences, multidisciplinary conferences, Grand Rounds, and CME. Each of those is really important, but it only tells part of the story. The question is, can we be doing something differently? These six things have been done forever the same exact way. Can we change things with better use of social media? And in the second part of the talk, that's what I'm going to look into. So let's take a break now. I need a drink. You look like you're thirsty as well. And we'll see you back here in a few minutes. Thanks a lot.